This is Real Estate News with Kathy Fedke. Warnings about an eviction tsunami have yet to materialize. Extended moratoriums and rental assistance programs have delayed evictions in some areas. Some housing experts had predicted 40 million evictions last fall. But as reported by the news blog 538.com, those experts are still waiting. I'm Kathy Fetke, and this is Real Estate News for Investors. Some renter protections are still in place or just now expiring in some states and jurisdictions, so an eviction surge could be looming in those areas. But housing experts had expected a U.S. eviction tsunami in September, after the national eviction moratorium was lifted. Although there's been an increase in evictions, it has not resulted in a tsunami. The 538 article cites information from a website called Eviction Lab, which tracks eviction data that's been made public. That data doesn't cover the entire nation, but it shows that as of October of last year, evictions in most parts of the country were 40% lower than a historical average and have not returned to pre-pandemic levels. So what's going on? It's difficult to know for sure, but there are various theories. Some housing experts think that some renters are still enjoying the benefits of the stimulus payments, extended unemployment insurance, and rental assistance programs, along with moratoriums. There's also a theory that many mom-and-pop landlords have worked out deals with renters to avoid evictions. And there are some who feel the eviction data just hasn't been very accurate. The 538 authors believe it's probably a combination of those three, but there is no nationwide database to track it. They say as many as one-third of U.S. counties don't publish an annual report on the number of evictions that make their way through courts. And then there are the so-called informal evictions, which are not tracked at all. That happens when landlords refuse to make repairs or abruptly change the locks on rental units. The blog suggests that informal evictions could be five times more common than formal ones. Despite the lack of solid figures for the current status of U.S. evictions, the warning about a tsunami of 40 million evictions was very likely exaggerated by a lot. That figure was largely based on something called the U.S. Census Bureau's Household Pulse Survey, which asks Americans how confident they are in paying their rent on a weekly basis. And then, week after week, between 25 and 33% didn't think they'd make rent. That survey was used by the Aspen Institute and the COVID-19 Eviction Defense Project to come up with projections about how many households were at risk. The figure was between 12 and 17 million households, or 30 to 40 million renters. That made for some big headlines and the passage of legislation for almost $50 billion in rental assistance. The government handout probably protected a lot of renters, but as the 538 blog points out, the legislation was probably based on an overestimate that was determined by renter confidence levels and not facts. The Aspen researchers included responses from people with no confidence, a slight amount of confidence, and a moderate amount of confidence in being able to pay the rent. Plus, they included not just the people who were already behind, but those who were up-to-date and just a little worried. As the blog points out, while a third of the renters said they were not feeling very confident about paying rent, only 13% were both low on confidence and behind on their rent. So how many renters were truly at risk? 538 calculated that number at 6 million households and 14 million renters. That's less than half of what Aspen had predicted at the very low end. The Aspen research grabbed the most headlines, though, even though there were other estimates that came out a lot lower. The Urban Institute crunched the numbers from the Census Bureau's Household Pulse Survey, but only included people that were already behind on their rent. That report determined that 10 million renters were at risk. 
The National Multifamily Housing Council estimates were also showing lower numbers, although that organization only covers multifamily. But the single-family ecosphere fared pretty well. At Real Wealth, we were reporting on how well the teams in our network were doing with rent collection during the pandemic. In Jacksonville, for example, one team there who renovates and manages a large number of single-family rentals says he hadn't noticed a big surge in evictions. He attributes that to Florida's landlord and business-friendly environment. He says, since the outbreak of COVID, we have remained in one of the strongest rental markets I've experienced in 25 years as a professional landlord. Businesses, families, homeowners, and renters are moving to Florida because of these fundamentals, which allow our state and real estate markets to continue to grow, both on the equity and rental side of the business. You can read more about this topic by following links on the show notes at newsforinvestors.com. And if you want to get in touch with that Jacksonville team or the ones in Orlando and Tampa, you can go to newsforinvestors.com. It's free to join. And when you're there, you'll get access to our investment counselors who also invest in those areas and can tell you about their experience and the experience of over 60,000 investors at Real Wealth. And you can also get data on the fastest growing areas in Florida and referrals to property teams in those markets, along with property management. I'm Kathy Fetke, and thanks so much for joining me here on Real Estate News for Investors. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to newsforinvestors.com.